All right, guys, welcome back to the Buck Fever podcast. We've got a good one for you guys this week. We are back in the studio. We're filming this one again. That's how you know it's going to be a special episode. Uh, we're going to be talking walleyes again, which means Colby's going to be leading this thing, and I'm going to take a back seat here and uh, try to shut up a little bit. So, Colby, take it away. Yeah, what's going on, guys? We got Justin Schneider, uh, pro walleye fisherman. Um, Grew up on the East Shore of Lake Winnebago in the brother town area. Played a little baseball against Justin and basketball and all sorts of other sports growing up. Um, and then he jumped into the the pro walleye circuit. I don't know how many years ago. He'll probably get to that. Um, but he's uh, one of the guys now, one of the premier guys on the Cabela's National Walleye Tour. Um, welcome. Thanks for joining us here tonight, Justin. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You guys got a nice setup here. Nice, Thanks. nice, close drive. Not too far from home. You betcha. Get home, put the kids in bed yet tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, they're not up that late tonight. Right. <laughs> I know my kids. Uh, who knows? They'll stay up past midnight if they if you let them. But uh, let's jump right into this thing and and jump into what's uh, fresh, and that's the Cabela's National Walleye Tour just finished up their second stop of their 2023 season at Lake Winnebago in the Lake Winnebago system. Um, 144 pro anglers were competing in that tournament um, just about a week ago or within the last week. Uh, it's a huge system. We're talking, you know, upper upper river lakes. We got Poygan, Winnet County, um, Butamore, the Big Lake of Bago, all these river systems. It's a it's a massive body of water to figure out. But you certainly did taking an, taking home an eleventh place finish, ounces out of the top ten. Pretty impressive stuff, man. Yeah, it was a it was a good event. Um, like you said, it's a massive, very expansive system, and there's so many different bites happening, um, so so much migration happening this time of year. Uh, so I fish with uh, Kent Anderson and Adam Anderson. Those are my two travel buds, and uh, we kind of knew going into it, you had a couple different plays you could make, right? You could you could go for those river fish, which are going to be the larger fish in the system, and I'm talking the the Fox River fish. And uh, there's a lot of fish that go up the wolf, as everybody knows. And where are those fish at? You know, are they making their way back? Are they making a pit stop in Poygan or Butamore, Winnicani? Are they dumping right back to the lake? Um, are they holding up in the wolf because there's enough forage base for them to eat there? And then you have your, your lake spawners, right? There's a third of the fish spawn in the lake. That's no secret. It's documented in uh, DNR telemetry studies. So I kind of really put my efforts towards Lake Winnebago just because of my history there and knowing different winds and how it's going to set fish up. Um, I knew I wouldn't have a strong chance of winning the event on Lake Winnebago. I shouldn't really say that because Zach Axman won it on Lake Winnebago two times ago, but I had a feeling the way it was shaping up that the winners were going to be in the river or upriver lakes. But I also thought that was a hero one day, potentially zero another day because this time of year, the upper lakes are very transitory, right? Mm -hmm. um, actually fished an AIM tournament a couple weeks ago, and we zeroed because we fished some fish that uh, were real good the day before the tournament, and they're gone the next day. Um, so that's kind of why I focused on on Lake Winnebago a little bit. Those up upriver lakes fish are kind of transitory. Um, Todd Zemke got it done. You know, he was fishing up there in sure some did. skinny water. Some skinny water. Another oh. warrior boy, by the way. Nice. Like to see that. Um, so that was kind of my my thoughts coming into it on what the fish were doing and uh, 
yeah, it's shaped out pretty good. So when you're saying you're fishing with your teammates like that and you guys are breaking that the water down, do do they take a lot of stock then in what you're saying and do you kind of lead that team breakdown because you're from here and you have a lot of history here? Or how does that kind of work with your teammates? Do you all go check out different spots and report back or do you all try to focus in on like the same type of game plan and try yeah. to replicate things within the, the big lake? Because that sounds like where you guys were targeting. Yeah, and I think every group of anglers probably has their own dynamic, right? Um, I don't venture to guess what some of the other guys do. Um, for us, it's kind of unique, though. I fish with two brothers, so they're obviously very close because they're brothers. And I fit right in with them because I'm a lot like them. We don't pull any punches. There's there's no BS. Call it like you see it. Tell it like it is. Um, but to more directly answer your question, for, for this particular event, yeah, I would say they kind of would direct questions towards me and kind of let me take the lead. But um, Kent Anderson, he's been around the block a lot. He's got a super expansive knowledge base. Um, so there's a lot of times where we'll lean on his knowledge base on certain bodies of water. And uh, his brother Adam is everybody good, every bit as good a fisherman as Kent, um, but he hasn't traveled quite as many years as Kent. So maybe we'll go to a place where Kent and I have been there and Adam hasn't. Um, and then to answer your, your second question in regards to how we approach breaking things down, generally the first three days you're kind of keeping an open mind, right? Because usually you think how you're going to catch them is not how you're going to catch right. them. Um, you have to be open-minded to what they want. So the, the first couple of days, we usually fish about five days before a tournament. So that first two, three days, um, we're kind of venturing to different areas, checking water temperatures, um, graphing, fishing sampling the area weighing your fish you know this side of the lake might have some heavy fish this side of the lake might not have as much forage base they could be skinnier and after a few days you're kind of getting some clues right and that's when the, the the magic sauce starts to take place is coming into that fourth day and you, you take all those clues and you head your bets this is what we think's happening and uh hopefully by the end of practice you're like there's fish here there's fish here, there's fish here and there. This is what's going to set them up. This wind sets that fish up, and this current is what we need for this spot. And to be honest with you, sometimes you're you're scratching your head on the last day, and you're like, we don't have it figured out. Let's go restart, go back out with an open mind, and try to figure something new out the day before the tournament. Um, fortunately for this one, I think my best day was the first, the first day I went in the went in the river, smacked them pretty good, and then uh, I think I had three or four real good days on the lake. And Kent and Adam too. Um, the system as a whole, Lake Winnebago, is really healthy. Uh, we had between three boats fishing, we had several days where we caught fifty to seventy walleyes. Wow. And there's a really good class of that eighteen and a half to twenty and a half, twenty one inch walleyes out there. Mm -hmm. And my prediction for like walleye weekend uh, battle on bagel is you're going to see a lot of really good bags, a lot of that like 13 to 16 pound bags because there's just a really healthy two and a half to three pound class of fish out there. Awesome. That's, I know our local ang anglers will like hearing that, right? Yeah. They're yeah. a little finicky right now. So some people are negative. I was down at the ballpark the other night and they're like, man, it's been kind of tough out there, but, um, that's May, you know, you yep. know, living around here, you know what it's like once you get into June 1st and, uh, the weed bite kicks off, the mud bite kicks off, the river's going full, full fledged, the rock bites going. 
Um, I think by the time we get to those bigger local tournaments, guys are going to be smacking them pretty good. Just what you're saying right there sets up great into the next question here and talking about the diversity that Lake Winnebago presents. You can fish this system so many different ways, whether you're a jig fisherman, a weed fisherman, a river fisherman, a troller, a slip bobber, casting cranks, literally every walleye tech, pulling flies, every walleye technique you want to do, you can do it here, which I think uh, I'm a little biased because I love the Winnebago system grew up here, but like, I think it always makes when you guys, the NWT stops at Winnebago or any tournament is at Winnebago. It's so intriguing because you have no idea how the tournament's going to be won. Yeah. And I live here and, and we live. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my guess was probably somebody slip bobbering on the perfect pile of rocks was probably going to win it. And I was wrong. It was Todd Zemke and three, four feet of water. And that's right. Like you say, it's a very cool system. And, and trolling, he was trolling spinners, it sounded like, in skinny water. Yeah, no weights. No weights. Yep. <laughs> you usually don't see or hear that tactic in May or in the middle of May uh, or whatnot. So um, with that diversity of this system and so many different options, how do you even go about where you're going to start? Do you try to play into, like, your strengths or just techniques that you like? Um you know, when there's all these different array of options that you can choose from, how do you say, this is what we're going to do? Because, I mean, you hear it all the time when guys come to Winnebago, they're like, my truck's packed with every single rod that I own. Yeah, um, I, I saw all the Facebook posts, you know, headed to Lake Winnebago, 54 rods in my boat and headed to Lake <laughs> Winnebago, 60 rods in my boat. I'll be honest, I, I had a pretty good plan of what I'd be doing. I had, I don't know, I, I probably had, you know, over 40 rods in the boat, but I pretty much knew I'd be probably have a jigging rod in my hand, um, maybe doing some slip corking, had the trolling gear along because if you get wind, there's certain stretches of rocks that set up and then just all my river stuff, right? You know, pulling flies. Um, there's a lot of different ways to catch them in that river. So probably four or five river rods. Um, but I, I kind of knew I'd have a jigging rod in my hand. Just I had the advantage of living here and sure. certain certain stretches of rock that were going to be holding the fish that I wanted to weigh in. So uh, the next event, Francis case, I won't have that advantage. Um, so I'll be the guy saying 60 rods packed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think you mentioned typically about five days of pre-fishing. Is that what you spent um, in this specific tournament? Yeah, I think it was five. Yeah. We tried, try to do five. Um, all three of us have full-time jobs. So um so there's times where you might only get four, might only get three. Uh, we try to do five, but if somebody gets super busy with work, it's, you know, you got sure. to pay the mortgage, right? So a lot of factors there. It, it could be work, could be past experience on the body of water, whether you've been there or not before, um, different things like that. When you're going to any of these different water bodies, and, and we're talking pre-fishing, so it could be anywhere from yeah. three to five. Yeah, I think five's a really good number because um, sometimes if the bite's that tough, uh, being there for eight, nine days, I, I really going to learn a whole lot more, especially when you have a full-time job and mm -hmm. you're, you're taking a lot away. And, and, uh, I think five days and you're fishing long days, you know, you're trying to get out there, you know, first thing in the morning, fish until six or seven at night, you're usually eating dinner at eight thirty, nine o'clock PM. By the time you re-rig some stuff, talk to your buddies about the plan for the next day, you're pushing 10 30 11 o'clock and you're hoping to fall asleep by midnight so <laughs> by uh end of day two you're about ready to pass yeah. out you're, you're pretty <laughs> tired so right right so 
Uh, this is an interesting question here. If being local to a tournament, like there was 144 anglers and there were a lot of local guys that got into this derby that maybe don't travel around and fish the entire tour. Um, and some of those guys are really awesome sticks on this system, but they, some yeah. of them really struggled on the, on the first day. And then a, a lot of them made a great jump and a bounce back on day two. Um, but the, when you're local to a system that comes here, does that tend to help or hurt you? Sometimes, you know, you can overthink it. You almost know too much about the body of water. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally love fishing Winnebago and Green Bay. I would say the majority, half, over half my checks in the NWT have come from Winnebago or Green Bay. Um, there, there's the old cliche that's tough to fish on your home water. Uh, it could be true if you overthink it, but I'll tell you what's tough is when you go to Lake Sakakawea for the first time in your entire life right. and you're like, wow, this thing is massive. And everybody at the gas station is saying, you got to go up to Newtown and you look at a map and you're like, whoa, that's 105 miles away. <laughs> and, uh, that, that to me is, is way more uh, daunting and tough when you go to new bodies of water for the first time and there's a local flavor to how they catch them. You know, every, every body of water, there's a certain way the locals catch them. And that's not necessarily what you need to do for the tournament. Um, but it's a good way to start on day one of practice to build a little confidence to get some fish in the boat. So to answer your question, I'd much rather fish local. Um, I like Lake Winnebago, Green Bay, Mississippi River. Um, you just got to remind yourself, like that was my biggest challenge this week is I had about seven spots that if they went, I thought I could pull 12 to 16 pounds off of. And I had to keep telling myself I can only fish three spots in this per day. Mm -hmm. Um, because there was definitely bite windows and you did not want to be driving your warrior boat 50 some miles an hour when that bite window was firing, you wanted to have your lines in the water. Um, so I really forced myself, what are the three best spots today? And I actually fished different spots on day two based on the conditions with the south wind. But um, yeah, to answer your question, I'd much rather fish fish home. Okay. Okay. So so day one, NWT, if we're talking this specific tournament, you brought 13 pounds, four ounces to the scale, sitting inside the top 10. I think you were ninth. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, had to feel good, right? And you had plenty to be happy with with that performance can you just talk about how the day went for you for you uh how you caught your fish you don't need yeah. to swear but maybe no absolutely um so uh both days actually i didn't catch anything so day one i didn't catch anything in the morning and really my goal was before 10 a.m to have something over 20 inches in the live well i was going to be pretty choosy those first three four hours nothing under um say two pounds for sure hoping for that two and a half to three and then I knew the afternoon bite was strong. Um, both nights before the tournament, the air temperature got down into the high 30s. And you live in here, you know what cold fronts do to Winnebago walleyes. It makes them shut, shut their mouth. They don't mm -hmm. want to eat. Um, so I knew the afternoon is where a guy was going to make his hay. So my real goal was to get anything over 20 inches in the box before 10 a.m. Even if I just had one, that was going to be a huge confidence builder. And uh, unfortunately, day one, I, I didn't have any good bites. And I ended up boxing a pound and a half or at about 10 o'clock. Because you can have a plan, but you still got to fish the day. Yep. And at 10 o'clock, I was sitting on a zero. I held, held that pound and a half fish in my hand, and I said, got to have five. And this is my spare. Threw it in the live well. Um, 
And that I actually started in the river on day one because I thought the conditions were good. It was northeast. There was more north to it than east. So I didn't think it was going to back the current up, but I was wrong. The current was there, but they wouldn't bite. Um, there had to be 50 boats in the mouth of the river, and I don't think I saw more than two, three fish caught. Huh. Uh, so then I headed out to the lake, and basically I was fishing structure, um, shallow rocks. I had spots on the east shore and the west shore. And day one, I focused on the stuff on the west shore because there was a little north and a little east to it, as I stated. And I got out there pretty dead and just kind of told my co-angler, um, Tim, Tim Berg was my co-angler. I said, you know, just keep grinding here. And by noon, they'll, they'll kick off. And about 11 o'clock, uh, we actually caught a 23-incher. So that was a huge shot in the arm. And I knew I had one of the five I wanted to weigh in at that point. And uh, then it was real slow, kept grinding, hit some, hit another spot, hit another spot, went back to where I had the 23, and uh, I think we popped like about a two-pounder. So we kept him and just kept grinding, kept grinding, another two-pounder, kept him. So now we're sitting on three, and uh, I think we actually made a joke, boy, could go for another one of those three-and-a-half-pounders. <laughs> and uh, no, I got that wrong. That was the last fish. I apologize. And uh, we, we ended up getting getting our five in the box and our fifth fish was another 22 and a half. That was like three, five. So now at this point we had over 12 pounds and, uh, it's, it's about one o'clock. We're feeling pretty good. We know 12 pounds is a good weight. It's not a great weight, but we're figuring it's around top 15 and that's, you know, you're not trying to win the tournament the first day. Right. Right. And, uh, we said, we we're going to look for a big one. And, uh, I don't think I fished five minutes and I felt one crack my jig and cranked him in. It was a 19 and a half and it weighed uh two, two or two, three. It was kind of skinny. Really thought about throwing it back, but I weighed it and I said, man, that puts us over 13. Mm -hmm. That's a big difference from 12 on these tight, tight weights. Yep. And, uh, so we decided to box it and we were headed in at one thirty. So it was that bittersweet feeling of, cause they were really starting to bite. I think we caught our last three fish in 10 minutes hmm. and, uh, in a catch record release tournament, I feel fairly confident we would have been able to keep getting them and have everything over 19 and a half to sure. 21. Um, but in the catch and hold tournaments that we were fishing with the national walleye tour, I was pleased to have 13 and, uh, you always want to have more. But it was a good start. But that's the tough part. Because you can only have six based on the, the Wisconsin culling rules and, and yeah. the Winnebago system. You can only have six in your live hole and you were done. So and no culling, no exchanging a fish back in the water. That makes those decisions super, super tough. <laughs> yeah, that pound and a half where I kept at 10 o'clock really is, is what bit me in the hinder on day one. But um, I'll tell you what, at 10 o'clock when you got a zero and you have – 40 boats around you not catching you yeah. know how quickly lady bago can shut off and i had these thoughts in the back of my head it might be one of those days where it's just tough for the whole field so let's let's get something in the box you fish a little looser when you have a fish in the a box fish, yep. <laughs> and uh it definitely helped to get things going around 130 i was regretting it but you know can't change it now how tough is it on those days where you know especially like bago is notorious for these small bite windows and it can the best bites on bago definitely can be from like 10 to 2 or in the middle of the day to to carry that confidence that 
okay, I might be at my A, B, or C, my best spots in the morning, and it's not going. But to carry that confidence that if I just hang out, grind it long enough, this is going to eventually turn on. There's a lot of anglers that when it's not happening, they're burning gas all over the lake. Yeah. And they just should have waited it out because that bite window's coming. Yeah. In the middle of the day. But it's got to be hard, right? It it can be. Um had I had such a strong practice though that I knew that the afternoons were polar opposite of the morning. I just knew put it this way, I knew it was going to happen so much that if it didn't happen, I would have been okay with coming in with a small bag saying, mm-hmm. Huh, really thought I had that one pegged. I guess I was wrong. I was I was so confident that I was okay with betting all my chips on that they were gonna bite in the afternoon. Um and was that water temperature related? Just like the, the temperature, air temperature getting warmer, sun getting up in the air and the water heating up a little bit or? Honestly, I think it was just um, getting some sun in the water. The There was a lot of talk about water temperature. Um, everybody kept saying, oh, I lost six degree water temperature. And I think a lot of those guys were wrong. There was two days of practice where it was flat calm and the water was touching 70 degrees. And then the next day the wind blew and it was still like high fifties, 58 to 61. And they didn't lose that temp. The only thing that happened was the water mixed a little bit. Sure. You know, if, even on the day when it was 70 degrees, if you'd have went a foot under the surface, it would have been like 58 degree water. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it was as much water temperature related because we didn't pick up a lot like from the morning it would be like 58 59 we'd pick up like a half degree a degree um, but that little bit and that sun getting up in the sky um, was just enough to get them going midday sure mm. so if i could interject just for a second there you mentioned a little while ago your co-angler and we were talking about that a little bit before we got started here but that was a like I didn't really understand at all how the co-angler system worked. Can you touch on that just a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, For anybody that's listening that's interested in learning more about fishing or becoming an NWT angler, um, how how it works is you basically just need to sign up. And right now there's a pretty high demand to get in on the co-angler side, so you have to sign up for all four to be guaranteed. Um, But I, I think it's 300 or 350 bucks, don't quote me on it, per event. And then you get to fish guaranteed two days um, with with different professional anglers. And I'll tell you what, there's guys fishing this tour right now that I would gladly pay $300 to spend a day in their boat. Um, There's some of the best fishermen in the world. I still look up to some of these guys, even though I'm competing against them. Um, So if you want to get better at fishing, it's a huge opportunity to, to see different techniques, different bodies of water. And so when they sign up, then they get drawn with a, a professional angler and their partner for the day. And then on the second day, they flip. So you get a new partner every day. Yeah, so that must make it even tougher on you because I just assumed that you got to pick your partner and like you just were a group and went through the whole thing. But just a random guy that shows up and you don't know his skill level or anything like that, that's got to be pretty tough sometimes. Yeah, like... uh a big part of the game when you're fishing is uh, sometimes sometimes you're just figuring out how to catch walleyes, yeah. and, and that's all that matters. Uh, but sometimes they're biting really good. So if you can use this technique that's more co-angler friendly versus, say, pitching jigs, if you're pitching jigs, 
uh, you need to either catch all the fish yourself or hope you get a good draw for a co-angler. Um, you might draw a co-angler that says, ah, I really don't jig much. I only troll. Yeah. And then that's fine. I'm glad they sign up because they're there to learn. Mm -hmm. um, but it goes into your decision making that um, if you have a way to catch them, that's easier for a co-angler that may not be as experienced. Um, it definitely helps. And some of these co-anglers are phenomenal. Some of them are a little uh, fresh or new to to uh, competitive tournament fishing. Some of them just fished for fun before this. So you get all all over the board. You get guys that are 18 years old. You get guys I've had last year. I had a guy, I think he was 84 years old. Um, so really, you, you just want to plan on a good technique. You need to be able to communicate. Right. Um, Pat touched on earlier, a lot of the local sticks struggled in this tournament. Um, part of that could be first time fishing with an amateur that they didn't know. You know, you're used to fishing partner tournaments with your best buddy. Me and Pat go yeah. out every weekend and fish together. I know your moves. You know when I'm going to grab for the net. Um, sometimes it's as simple as communicating on who's going to crank the fish in if you're trolling or, you know. Right. There's a lot, a lot of uh, communication and people skills that goes into it. So it's a lot of fun, though. Meet a lot of new people. Made a lot of great friends. Um, that were co-anglers and they're still dear friends to this day. Nice, nice. So sitting in the top 10, game plan going into day two, were there any weather or things that you were expecting to impact your bite that were going to switch up on day two? Yeah, I, I. it was crazy. There was a few more limits brought in on day two, and I kind of was thinking to go the other way. I thought it'd be a lot tougher on day two because when I weighed in on day one at Menominee Park, um, the entire park was filled with lake flies. There was more lake flies hatching every day. And actually two days after the tournament, it was like an explosion everywhere. Um, so the shorelines are covered in minnows right now. Doesn't matter where on Lake Winnebago you go. If the water's clear, you'll see minnows swimming. Lake flies are hatching. And it was just kind of all teeing up to be a tougher day of fishing. Um, so that that was my mindset going into day two is to not be greedy Um I sitting in ninth, if I was going to win the tournament, it was going to happen. The The right bites were going to come. I wasn't going to try to win the tournament. I didn't really have a winning bite going. I was more focused on getting a solid limit. And uh, if some big ones bit, they bit, right? So can you run us through how a day two ended up going for you? Yeah, day two. So I actually was boat 141. So the first day... I didn't get out there till everybody was already fishing. I was one of the last guys out of the game. And day two, I had a great boat number. Um, one of the most, what's the most famous reef on the Southwest Shore, Pat? Trivia question. Oh boy, Long Point? Long Point Reef. Didn't even pre-fish it because I knew there'd be 40 boats on it. Um, I fished it, you know, a week before everybody got here. I knew there was fish there. Um, day two, I'm like the third boat out told my co-angler hang on we're going for a ride <laughs> and we were the first person down to long point by a good solid 10 minutes i'd say um the the chop was pretty bumpy the warrior was eating them up pretty good and i'm like man i'm gonna get an entire drift down long point before anybody gets here in the back of my head i thought we might be done like we might pull <laughs> we might pull five before anybody gets here and uh, I caught one sheephead, Pat. No kidding. One mm. sheephead on Long Point Reef. Oh, and, you had uh, it all to yourself, too, and one sheephead. 
and there was a lot of good weight that came off of there. There was for surely one top five, and hmm. um, I don't mean to be spilling the tea on anybody, but if you haven't heard of Long Point Reef, right. you know, read right. a book. It's, yeah. it's the biggest community <laughs> hole in the system. Um, so that was disappointing. I got down there, beat everybody there. I was just going to try to get one quick drift across it before everybody showed up, maybe pull, you know, uh, one or two good fish. And, uh, it resulted nothing. So I told the co-angler, don't worry. That's not even one of my good spots. We're, we're going to get on them. Um, noons when the real damage is going to happen, but we just got to pick one off this morning. Well, I went to probably my best spot for the wind that was set up and, we had one walleye bite and you can tell the difference when you're jigging between a sheephead and a walleye, you know, the walleye gives you that tick and I somehow missed it. Mm. Uh, other than that, we did not have a bite before noon on day two. Oof. And I was actually debating in my head. I had a spot in the river that was loaded with 15 and 16 inch fish. And I was debating running in there to grab myself a limit and then come up back out to the lake and just about the time I was debating that at 12 o'clock, my co-angler caught a 14 and a half inch fish. And I'm like, all right, they're starting to bite here, you know, because the little ones always turn on before the big ones. Um, of course, being noon, that, that fish weighed 1.12 pounds. I'm like, huh, not <laughs> where the bar was set for today. No. You know, we're not getting to 13 pounds with this guy. No. Yeah. But it's noon, you know. So I boxed him and I said, that's going to be fish number six, hopefully. They all got to be bigger from here on out. And uh, they didn't turn on as I expected. It, it was a slow crescendo. It was a slow build. And we went another 20, 20, 30 minutes without a bite. And then we got a keeper. And it was 1.36. <laughs> and I said, well, it is bigger than the first <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> but I also, I also knew I had 13 pounds the first day. And I fished tournaments before where I threw all my fish back. Uh, Prairie Duchesne, they paid the 25th. I got 26th place. The $3,000 check that I missed by one one hundredth of a pound. So yeah. I, I knew how easily you can uh, throw $3,000 back in the lake. Yeah. So I decided he's going in the box. And uh, the next fish that bit was 1.56. So we're going <laughs> the right direction here, but not quick enough, right? Yeah. And... I, I kept them because I said, you know what? That's three. Gives me three more spots. And then we threw quite a few fish back after that. And and then it slowed. And then we had a good hour, good hour, you know, where where the bit the bite really tapered off. And then I'm starting to second guess the fish I threw back. Um but then we got uh I think a one nine six, one point nine six. So I was happy with that as close to two pounds. Put us at four. And we just decided the last two, you know, had to be good fish. I don't recall what the fifth fish was, but I know it put me in that that eight-pound range. And at that point, I knew I probably had a paycheck. Uh, I knew I didn't have a chance to win anymore. I knew I probably didn't have a chance at top ten. So I was basically just fishing for anything over two and a half, you know, in that three range. And at uh, 2, 2.02, because we could fish till 2.30, I figured, because it's pretty windy. And at 202, I caught a 2.6 pounder. So that puts us about 10 pounds, just shy of 10 pounds. You know, so we took a nice slow ride back to Menominee <laughs> Park and kind of disappointed in yourself because, you, you know, you're in the top 10 day one, you had 13 pounds, and now you're coming in with only 10. But also there, 
there's only been eight guys that have had a limit every day this year. So I was happy yeah. that I'm keeping myself relevant in the AOI race and, and also a nice paycheck at this event. Um, but anytime you drop spots from day one, there's still a feeling of disappointment. But right. um, now that I've had a week to digest it, I'm pleased that I was able to get 11th, you know. Yeah, for sure. You didn't drop very far. You only dropped two spots. So yeah. 11th place finish at Bago on top of your seventh place finish at uh, Spring Valley, Illinois River Tournament, which was a really tough bite, really cold weather, wasn't it, for that one? Yeah, it was nasty. There was one day we didn't even go. Um, the Masters Walleye Circuit had a tournament that day. and I saw that was I brutal. I feel so bad for those guys. <laughs> um, that had to be the worst day of fishing in the history of walleye fishing. <laughs> There was so yeah. much ice on boats and frozen oh, yeah. fingers. Half the guys weren't even wearing hats and gloves by the end of the day because they were so cold that they didn't even care anymore. Wow. Um, so we actually didn't even fish one of the days down there. It was so nasty. <laughs> but yeah, you took seventh in that event and then combined with your 11th at Bago, currently has you sitting in first place for the, the coveted National Walleye Tour, Tour yeah. Angler of the Year in the point standing um, after two events. So that's... A nice little feather in the cap for now. Long way to go. Three events left, right? Or two events in the championship. But uh, it still has to have you feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not mad at it. It, it feels, good to have <laughs> right? a, feels good to have a good start. But um, these guys are the best fishermen in the world. They're going to catch them at the next three events. Um, I just need to do my job. Really not, as my buddy Kent would say, don't even think about Angler of the Year. Think about how do you catch a walleye? And what's the best way to catch a walleye on this day? What are the conditions doing? Um, don't get caught up in that. Um, I really focus on limits every day. Last year, I caught the most walleyes in the National Walleye Tour. I had 45. And I said at the beginning of this year, if you can have your limit every day this year, you're going to be right up there for AOI because Sault Ste. Marie's tough. Um, we all know Lake Winnebago can be tough. Mm -hmm. uh, Spring Valley's not that tough to get a limit. Uh, there was a lot of limits there. Francis Case, not that tough to get a limit. Um, but basically, if you can get your limit every day, um, you look at Tom Keenan, Chris Gilman, some of the greatest fishermen of all time, they were always up there in AOI, and it's because they always had their limit. It's crazy. I used to look at these guys and be like, how do they do this? And uh, that's really the part of my game I've been perfecting. I'm not I'm not a Corey Springle where I'm just going to just like sneak up and be like, watch out, 23 pounds on bagel. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't had that that big win, but I, I'm really working on being consistent, putting limits, and that's really the goal for the rest of the year is just be a consistent angler, catching limits, and not to mention when you're catching limits, it's fun, you know, because right. you, you usually get your limit, now you hunt for a big one, and it's just you just keep building on it, and that's that's when it gets exciting. I think that's a great tournament approach, period. You see even these tournaments on Winnebago, like Merck National Battle on Bago, if you can go two days, limit, limit, yeah. Nine times out of 10, you're cashing a check, regardless yeah. of what that limit even is. If it's five fish for seven or eight pounds, if you can do that back to back days, almost all the time, you're cashing checks when you go limit, limit. Cashing checks and snapping necks, they say, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right. it's, uh, it's tough in the, in the no call. Um, like Lake Winnebago, we went just went through all that when mm -hmm. you got to make those decisions. But um, at the end of the day, I decided I was coming in with my five. So that's why a pound and a half gets boxed and it bit me in the end. But, you know, you hear lots of guys on stage. Oh, we threw back, you know, two 18 inches to start the day. And um, it's like, dude, you're on Lake Winnebago. You don't throw yeah, 18 inches back. <laughs> right. You know, maybe if you're on 
four pounders in the river somewhere and you're going for the W, I, I get that. But pretty much anywhere out on the main lake, if you're throwing 18 inches back, you're pretty brave. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. So that uh, the next stop on the NWT, end of June, Pickstown, South Dakota, Missouri River System. Have you ever been to this part of the Missouri River before? Yeah. Um, we actually fished out of Chamberlain last year. And I really enjoyed the fishery. Is that Francis Case as well? Chamberlain, yeah. just on the north, more on the northern end. Correct. Okay. Yep. And Pickstown's on the southern end. Yeah, it's down or by the southern east, down maybe? by the dam on the southern yep. end. Yep. And Chamberlain is almost to the northern dam. It's I think it's like 15 miles from the dam. Um, actually had the worst tournament of the year last year there. I think I got like 105th, and. Uh, we were on good fish, caught lots of fish all week. I made a few mistakes as far as where I started, what I decided to keep, you know, throwing fish back, being a little greedy. Um, I, I tried to get a little too cute with it, to be honest, last year. I was really thinking I was going to go out to Francis Case and show them how they do it on Lake Winnebago. <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to pull flies and I'm going to do this. I'm going to throw ripping wraps. And, and honestly, I think. Francis Case is a whole different beast. It's a reservoir. It's not even a natural lake. And uh, going to have a lot different approach to this event this year. Nice. Switch, you want to take the take take the next one? Let you chime in. Yeah, let's go. Well, we skipped over one here, though. It looks like the, the Angler of the Year. Yeah, we could it, jump back to that. I yeah. guess I did skip that a little bit. It so, does... Colby's saying it's carrying some more weight this year. Why? Why might that be? <laughs> Oh, so yeah, they have a little more attached to it this yeah, year, right? They, the Angler of the Year at the end of the season. They restructure their prize package in the NWT, and I, I'm not familiar with all the details, but basically there was a boat that went to a certain payout in the past, and now that that boat goes to the Angler of the Year, where previously it was your entry fees the following year were paid, so it was like you know seventy five hundred bucks or whatever for Angler of the Year, and uh, this year it's a brand new boat, so oh. it's it's uh. Something a lot of guys are been going for. So when you get the best fishermen in the world behind you that all want to win that boat, it just reminds you more to just focus. <laughs> just go fishing. Right? Yeah. yeah. Just focus get on your the limit. walleye. Absolutely. That's what, you know, when I started tournament fishing a long time ago too and, and starting out in a very small, you know, 17-foot boat, you'd pull into the, the harbors and you'd see everybody with their eighty or $100,000 boat. And you just got to take that out of the – Yeah. Take your – just put blinders on and you're it's you versus the walleye. It's not you versus everybody else and all the gear and stuff. It's just you're going fishing and it's you versus the walleye. And that's really at the basic level what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, the, the bad man himself, Corey Springle. I mean, I don't care what anybody says he's the best to ever do it. He's the best to ever cast a jig. That's what he said for years. You know, mm -hmm. it's him versus the walleyes. You go to a, a takeoff. Corey's not out there chirping with everybody talking he's over like 100 yards away with his power pole down like doing his like cory springle stuff getting, in. getting all zoned <laughs> in and he focuses on him versus walleyes and uh that's really what you got to do like you said it doesn't matter what you have for a boat doesn't matter what what you did at work this week when you're on the water it's like what are the conditions and think like a walleye that's right yeah man so going kind of all the way back here you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the outdoors and, and fishing and some of maybe your mentors and influences along the way. Yeah, you bet. No, um, pretty much been fishing since I was a kid, a uh, little private lake up in Crivets that, uh, 
my great uncle and my grandfather had a cabin on. So catching bluegills and, mm. and bass and whatever would tug on the line. And uh, I think I'd spend the whole day down on the pier. Mom would have to drag me up to the cabin <laughs> to eat. Um, and then, you know, getting into high school, my uncle had a little 15 or 16 foot Lakeland and we'd go troll, you know, Winnebago Point to Stockbridge and listen to ACDC on the one cassette tape he had in there. <laughs> and that's uh, really all we did ever was, you know, pull plugs, Wally Divers. Remember Wally Divers? Yeah, and and that stretch used to be so good when the water was dirty back when we're probably when we were in high school. I mean, it still can be good, but yes. it's not quite as good as it used to be. Man, you used to. Yeah, that was a good stretch. Yeah. And uh, just going fishing with my uncle and my dad. My dad, Bill, he uh, took me hunting and fishing since I was a kid. Loved deer hunting. Um, really love any kind of hunting. There's just only so much time to get out. I have three little kids. And um, so doing that with my dad and and uh, started fishing some, some bar tournaments a little bit on the East Shore and really liked doing that and eventually signed up for Merck Nationals. I was like, holy cow, I hit the big time now. <laughs> anybody who's ever fished Merck Nationals knows that it's probably the, the coolest tournament in the country. Um, I don't know. There's what, 5,000 people in the park and probably a 1,000 of them watching the weigh-in. Yeah, and it's just something about coming into that channel and yeah. having all the boats parked and people standing over the bridge looking at you. I mean, it's a huge festival around this tournament. Yeah, um, Mercury does it right. It's, do it's it an right. awesome yep. event. And I always tell people from around the country, if if you're looking for a tournament to come fish and you really just want to see a spectacle of, of what walleye fishing can be, come to the Mercury Nationals. It's So the first time I fished that, I was just like, this is awesome. This is all I want to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of where the bug really bit me is when I started fishing Merc Nationals and um, having fun doing that. And jumped into the co-angler side like we talked about on the amateur side and got to meet some pros got to fish with them a little bit um, learned a lot and eventually i was like i want to i want to be the guy driving the boat i want to be the guy making the decision so i hopped over to the boater side and been doing it for about 10 or 11 years now so what circuit did you jump in originally as a co? was that aim or was That'd it been the aim pro walleye, walleye, walleye series okay yep. and then from there did you jump in was it the aim or nwt when so you first my, became a pro my first year as a pro was the aim pro walleye series which was an uneventful year because it was way harder than i thought it'd be and they were way better than i thought they were and uh, i ended up getting like fourth in the championship and then the next year was the first year of the national walleye tour okay so my second year was the first year that the national walleye tour came into existence so i fished every national walleye tour event they've ever had with the exception of 2020, I jumped, or 2021, I jumped over and fished one season of the head-to-head -head circuit. Sure. So. so jumping into that on the pro side, where now you're you're the captain, you're in charge, you're making all the decisions. What's been, what was like the biggest learning curve or thing where you went, holy cow, I need to get better at this when you first jumped into it? Probably what we talked about a little bit previously is dealing with, uh, co-anglers um, not that co-anglers are a problem it's more you're used to fishing with your buddy every day sure and you'd be and now like, you got to be a teacher a little bit uh, some, sometimes. sometimes I mean sometimes you get a co-angler that's a better jig fisherman than you you might get a guy that fishes 150 days a year mm -hmm. um, but if you don't properly communicate 
um, on how you're going to do things. And there's a miscommunication. Um, you know, like I always ask guy, you, you prefer to, to net or you prefer to reel if we're trolling. And if a guy says, doesn't matter, I'm awesome at both of them. He's probably terrible at both of them. <laughs> um, when you get a modest guy that's like, ah, oh, I, I really have no preference. I feel comfortable doing either. Then you know you got to stick in the boat, you know, because most guys that are really good fishermen, the first thing they tell you when they meet you is an I'm awesome at fishing. Um, so right. just stuff like that, learning, all right, what's this guy's strong suit? You know, if he's more comfortable, if the guy's more comfortable cranking him in, he's going to do better. Um, there's some people that can't get the shakes when they have a net in their hand. Um, so just that's, that was the biggest learning curve is learning, learning how to fish with another person, learning how to control your own mind when you have somebody in your boat that's like, so do you have a family? What do you do for work? And it's like seven fifteen. you're trying <laughs> yeah. to like focus on what you're doing. You know, if me and you were in a tournament, Pat, we probably wouldn't talk until we had a fish in the boat. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, I don't blame them because it's kind of awkward. You just met this guy. Now you're not going to talk. So I, mm -hmm. I, I don't blame them. Um, but you have to learn to be polite to them, communicate, but also be able to think about what you want to do. And sure. obviously once there's limits in the boat, you know, everybody's talking, high five sure. and having fun. <laughs> um, it's those tough days of fishing when you get a real chatty co-angler that you have to be able to zone back in, zone it stay, in and stay on the game plan without yeah. the guy thinking you're the biggest asshole in the world. Right. right. Which, right. Can, you know, I've been told from time to time that can happen. <laughs> so fishing, you jump to the pros. Um, I don't really know how those early years went. Maybe you can touch on it, but like, when did you feel like, man, I, I arrived, like that was my moment. I feel like I got this now. I mean, it's gotta be waiting for that one to come Pat. Intimidating. <laughs> oh, I, I, you're there. Come on. It's gotta be intimidating when you first jump in. Right. And you see, yeah. uh, you know, Parsons, Cavias, uh, Tom Keenan, who I think is now retired. Uh, you know, Chris Gilman, you could go on and on Tom Kemos, all these big names. Um, and now you're like, holy crap, I'm going up against these guys. But when did it feel like, okay, I'm here. I can compete with these guys. I'm part of this. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, and, and those guys know it too. Um, in, in your first years, the, the older veterans, they know you're nervous. There's a particular angler. I won't name him. I'm fishing on green Bay one time and I'm making a drift and he like, Pulls in on plane, sets her down, and pulls like right in front of me where I'm casting. <laughs> and he like acts like I'm invisible, like he can't see me. And I'm yelling his name, like, hey. And he just acts like he can't hear me from 20 feet away. Like he knew what he was doing. Yeah. He knew I was like intimidated by him. And enough of those encounters happen. And you're like, I don't really care what any of these guys think. I'm not afraid of anybody. Sure. Um, so. When did I arrive? I wouldn't say I ever feel like I arrived because I feel like I'd be a douchebag if I said that. But uh, when did I have confidence? Um, probably or, around or, like... Yeah, when do you feel like uh, arrived? Yeah, kind of the, that's a douchebag kind of statement. But like, I belong here. Like, I'm, I'm part of this. I, I would say... I can hold my own. I would say like the 2020 season, I was really starting to build a lot of confidence. And I think that's why I jumped into that head-to-head -head circuit was because my teammates, Kent and Adam, were not going there. And I thought, this is a really good test for me to go out on my own, um, leave the nest of an of a experienced team that I've been with, and see what I can do. And I fared pretty well over there. And 
that's when I knew that I can do this as good as anybody. I just need to buckle down and, and do it, you know, and not really care who's, who's fishing over there, who's fishing over there. I need to look at my fish finder. I need to look at my weather app and I need to make good decisions. And as long as I do that, it doesn't matter who's fishing the tournament. You can, as you stated, it's you versus the walleyes. Yep, goes so back to so that. I would say around that, like 2019, 2020, I started building a lot of more confidence. Sure. So as this confidence builds and builds and builds, it worked right into our next question. What would you say, like technique wise, it is what you are most confident? What would, if Justin Schneider is known for such and such technique, what would you say? Um, to be honest, fishing the National Wally Tour for over 10 years, you kind of have to be proficient at doing it all there's you know there's live scopers there's your uh max isaac tom Wynn. i mean they're known they're gonna live scope mm -hmm. when there's live scope bite going they're gonna be dominant um aside from the live scope which i do dabble with but i really don't dedicate my practice to it like you need to i mean if you're gonna be at a tom Wynn level or an isaac lakish level that's what they do those guys that's that's what they do day in and day out um, you have to dedicate to that. So aside from that, I really think you need to be able to do it all and not just be able to do it, but you need to be damn good at doing it all because, um, you look at like Detroit river last year. I mean, that was going to be vertical jigging or it's going to be handlining. I only handlined a couple times in my life, but I was ready to do it if I had to do it. Um, if I, if I had to choose, I'd have a jigging rod in my hand, you know, either vertical or pitching It's probably my favorite, but I, I do love trolling. Um, my two teammates, Kent and Adam, um, I'd say they're probably the best trollers in the National Wally Tour, hands down. So that doesn't hurt to sure. help to help have those guys help put a program together. Um, but if I if I had a choice, I'd have a jigging rod in my hand. You you'd probably you just have to be versatile though, just right with all the systems you yeah. go to. If you were pigeonholed into I only do this technique, they'd probably leave you in the dust. On the, on the NWT, yeah. You can do your home lake in South Dakota, your home sure. lake in Minnesota, and this is what you do. You can, I live in Minnesota, and I'm a live bait rigger. Um, but you get out get out on the tour over the course of the season, you have to have to be able to do it all if you want to be competitive. And, and that's part of the early, my early NWT days. I don't think I probably was proficient enough at all those tactics. But to get where I am now, I had to take a lot of whoopings from Chris Gilman, Tom Keenan, Gary Parsons, you know, mm -hmm. not everybody can be Corey Springle and be the greatest at 25 <laughs> years old. So, um, sometimes you just be humble and take the whooping and get better from it. Sure. Sure. So can you explain your team situation a little bit? Cause you don't fish like in this series with these guys, right? Not in the same boat. So, um, I'm a professional angler in the NWT. Um, my friend Kent is my friend, Adam, and, we all signed up individually in the tournament. I almost said tournament, like my buddy from Ohio. <laughs> you know, how good luck in the tournament. <laughs> um, and then we'll go to a body of water, do that that five days of fishing, like we talked about for pre-fishing, and we'll we'll chit chat. We'll talk about what's what we're seeing on the water. Um, but eventually, they're not really my partners in the event per right. se. Um, it's it's an individual sport, um, but. The majority of the National Walleye Tour, uh, the majority of the anglers have a crew that they run with. There's all different ways guys do it. Some guys are just roommates, and they hang out at night and eat dinner together, but they don't talk fishing. Hmm. Um, some guys talk fishing, and some guys fish all by themselves. There's 
quite a variety to how people tackle it. Yeah, that's interesting. So what's that look like for you and the Andersons when you guys travel to a location? Are you guys all staying together, eating together, sharing information? Um, how does that kind of play out for you with yeah. your team, with lodging, with meals? with like What's that like for a pro walleye fisherman when you're traveling around the yeah, country? Yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways people do it. Um, how we typically like to do is we try to rent a house, right? Because um, you got us three, and we usually have some people that come pre-fish with us. So usually got at least five, if not six people. And uh, so we try to rent a house. First thing we do when we get to town, go grocery shopping. We eat the same thing at every event. For the last five years, we have the same <laughs> meals. You know, you got your brats one night because you got to have Johnsonville brats. Not mm-hmm. sponsored by them. I just love Johnsonville brats. Sure. <laughs> got to have burgers. Got to have some barbecue chicken, spaghetti one night. And then you always have enough pizzas for at least one pizza night because it gets late and you're tired. And nobody feels like cooking. <laughs> yep. um, and there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, we got my buddy Goose, Dave Clock. He comes along. He helps with cooking, cleaning. Um, Randy Woodland's fishing with us this year. Um, our good buddy Billy Carlson from Northern States Fishing Tools. He comes along. So we cook all our own meals, do our own dishes. There's probably easier way. You could probably go out to dinner. But uh, we eat for like 90 bucks a week. You know, getting our groceries and doing our own cooking. We eat, you know, 90, 100 bucks a week where some guys are going out to the bar having a cheeseburger and a couple beers every night. And adds up. Oh, yeah. They're looking at four or 500 bucks a week. And we'd rather either be fishing, eating, or sleeping. We don't have time for drinking beers. Um, <laughs> if one of us does go in the tournament, sure, we might have a beer or something after the tournament. But usually up so late, the last thing you feel like doing is drinking right. beer. So. <laughs> So what advice would you give to any young, I guess it wouldn't have to be young, but any aspiring angler looking to get into the tournament game? Um, let's start at any level. Like they've never fished tournaments before. Um, what advice would you? Yeah, um, it's pretty straightforward, really. Fish fish as much as you can and, and get good at catching fish. Sign up for local tournaments. And no matter how good you do in the tournament, I don't care if you get a zero, go to the weigh-in, talk to the guys that want it, talk to guys that caught fish, spend time around fishermen. Um, you're going to get better and better. Those whoopings turn into lessons. And if you're too proud to face people after you take a whooping, you're not going to learn that lesson. Um, so fish as much as you can, fish local tournaments, be around fishermen, talk about fishing. Um, and then as far as like making the jump to like per se the next level, there's lots of what I call like Instagram, YouTube, like fallacies. Like there's a lot of people out there right now that don't have a job. They're like in their early twenties fishing and these 17 year old kids think that's real life. Best advice I can give you is get a good job and and work hard and fish at night. If you're like 19 years old, you don't even like need to sleep. The biggest, (laughs) the biggest trap you fall into when you're like 21 to 26 is spending too much time in a tavern. If you can go to work, fish at night, fish on the weekends, start piling money away. Um, having a steady income, I can say has kept me in the national walleye tour for 10 years. I, the first three, four years I was in the tour, it wasn't because I was just kicking tail on the tour, cash and checks. It was, I learned some hard lessons, but I went back to work as a plumber the very next Monday 
and kept myself in the game. And you'll see flashes in the pan. There's guys that are like, oh, I'm going to go do the tour this year. And they'll make it two, three events, realize how good these guys are, get their ass kicked, run out of money, and they never come back. And that's not a rip on anybody. It's more advice for that 19 to 24 year old is you got to work like not at fishing, but you got to look at it like, say you're a framing carpenter, be like, I'm going to frame this wall the best I can and get it done because maybe my boss will give me a, a slight raise and I can buy crankbaits with that raise. And like, that's how I always looked at it, is like the more money I can make at work, the better I can do at work is only helping my fishing career. So my best advice to any like younger kids is fish every chance you can at night and on the weekends, but have a job because this vision of these 22 to 26 year olds with all these $100,000 wrap boats they ain't fishing with their own money. I'll tell you that right now. And it'd be people mad at me for saying that, but I don't really care. So go make some money. Have a game plan. Have a, like have a, a game life plan. game plan other than just. Yeah, to follow right. up with that, you're going to want to retire someday. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm starting to get some grays now. I'm, thir <laughs> I'm, I'm 38 and I'm realizing I'm going to want to retire. And there's many times I wanted to, oh, I should quit my job and just fish, right? Well, Right now, I have a pretty sweet 401k going for me because I kept my job and I'm going to be able to retire someday with my wife and my kids and hopefully grandkids someday. So you got to look long term. You can't just go all in on fishing. Some people would be like, that's complete wrong attitude. You got to go all in because otherwise you're not in 100 percent. Well, there's like 80 guys that didn't make it. That would, There's like 800 guys that didn't make right. it that would tell you. Yeah, there's a few success stories, but you got to have a well-rounded life, in, in my opinion. That makes total sense to me. Mm -hmm. I would agree, for sure. That's something we think about a lot, too, like trying to do this stuff. I mean, it's obviously a, a much different level than where you're at, but you know, we're kind of that age. Yeah. How old are you, Jake? 20? Yeah, I'm 21, <laughs> so we're right in that age that you're talking about there, and that's kind of stuff we try and stick to you know, keep our heads down, work hard and do as much of this stuff as we can after work, staying up late, not sleeping a whole lot. And so yeah. everything you said there, I completely resonate with that a hundred percent. Yeah. Like when I walked in here, you got all your turkey gear. I can tell you just been, <laughs> you've been hard after the turkeys where like yeah. a lot of 21 year olds be like tied up in the tavern. And, and I'm here to tell you it's all good and fun, but you never get to be 35 and say, Man, I'm sure glad I spent so much time in the tavern in my early 20s. I really learned a lot and got saved money. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you know, we're hunting and fishing. You're building memories for life. Yeah. And, and you're building skills. You're building friendships. You know, nobody's ever met their best friend in a bar. You know, yeah. you might go to the bar with your best friend, but you've <laughs> never been like, old Timmy. I met him yeah. down at the Quinny Quencher in 93, <laughs> you know, so go hunting, go fishing. I mean, we're in Eastern Wisconsin. A lot of people love to drink, not knocking drinking, but if you're a young man, there's so much more out there to life than getting hammered. You know what that feeling when you kill a big buck or catch 10 pound walleye, that's better than getting drunk anyway. hundred percent. I would hundred percent echo your thoughts there. I, you know, I've never regretted a day where I didn't go out the night before and I got up early and I'm sitting in a tree stand or I'm out on the lake fishing and it does not matter how that day turns out. You never regret going. Right. You're, but you you're always never... regret the day you did. Why didn't I just get up? And that big bucks on your trail camera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause you're always going to be there if you sleep in. Oh, for sure. 
for sure. Yeah, that happened a couple times where Jake's wanted me to go out, whatever, and I sleep in. I'm like, oh, it's not going to happen today. And it's sturgeon spearing. The first one you speared, that same thing happened. I I don't know. We had the day off of school or COVID struck or something. I don't know. And I slept in, and I get a phone call waking me up from Jake. Oh, I just speared one. And then, you know, everything broke loose after that. But, yeah, I, I agree. You got you to gotta make it a priority if it's really something – that you really care about, then you'll make it a priority and you'll get out there and you'll give up some of those other things that might seem good in the moment, but don't really provide anything for you long-term. So switching gears to some of these outdoor passions we just kind of touched on, uh, sounds like you're hunting fish and well, you fish obviously, but you hunt all kinds of things. And I think you might do a little sturgeon spearing too. And that's a little popular about here. You want to, you want to take a grab at, either one of those topics and elaborate a little bit into what you do or how much of it you do or where, oh, yeah. where you do it. Yeah. A lot of, like a lot of people ask me like, do you, do you ice fish too? And I, and I love ice fishing. It's not that I don't like it. It's just, I have uh, three little kids. I spend all summer chasing around the country after walleyes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's gotta be time in there to be a father. So the ice fishing just haven't pursued it in probably 10 years. But the one thing that I will not miss is Lake Winnebago Sturgeon Spearing. <laughs> um, it's a family affair. My wife got a like a 72-incher, not this past year, but the year before. Um, we got such a great group of guys that that we go with. And it, it's just 16 days of absolute chaos. And I, I mean, I'll tell you right now, <laughs> if they had a national sturgeon tour <laughs> and it lasted four months like the nwt i don't know if i could pick walleye fishing or sturgeon i mean it, it's like i always tell people it's like catching a 10 pounder and shooting a 10 point buck at the same time the adrenaline rush you get when you get a big sturgeon um i know you're into it you know we have a mutual friend brad hallbuck who's actually yep. the only guy in our group that got a sturgeon this year, which still ticks me off. He was, <laughs> he requested that I ask how the group, how your group did spear in last year. We did so bad that the worst spear in the group, Brad Hallbuck got a sturgeon. <laughs> Is that a good answer? No, he's a, uh, Brad's a good, a good friend of mine. And I actually was at work that day and I got a picture of him holding a sturgeon after we just zigged every time we should have zagged this year. We were on fish. The water was a little too dirty. We moved over there with some cleaner water. Um, I really don't have an excuse. We just couldn't get on them this year. We've speared quite a few fish the last five years. You know, we usually get anywhere from five to eight fish out of a group of 10 guys. And this year was not our year. But Hullbuck did get one. <laughs> Still owe me an up-down. You know what I'm talking about. I know what he's <laughs> talking about. <laughs> Are you a East Shore guy or West Shore guy? Oh, uh, you sure for life, man. That's okay. a crazy question. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I live, uh, I live on the East shore and it's pretty convenient. We kind of have like sturgeon camp at my house on, on years where you can't take trucks. We usually go out by my house and, um, there's a lot of good spear fishing that happens on the West shore and up on the North shore. I just can't bring myself to travel too far from the East shore. There's just something special about, about it. Makes sense. We've done pretty well over on the West Shore. These past, guys really past have. Yeah. Couple of years, yep. it's been all right. We've each speared two in the past three years. That's pretty dang That's good. Not, yeah, we have nothing to complain about. 
nothing to complain about and we can't brag too much because it's it can turn off really really quickly but yeah and the percentage is what like a five percent success rate right. so i mean yeah, to get two, two out of three yeah it's uh a lot of folks from other states they don't really understand just truly how rare it is to kill one and right and, and i i have a lot of facebook people that will comment if they see me holding a dead sturgeon they're like well that's not very ethical and they don't understand how truly difficult it is to actually get in a spot that has sturgeon for starters yeah then even when you do you have to get one to swim through a four by five hole or whatever size your hole is and then even if he does swim through you have to be paying attention and even if you are paying attention you have to hit it and a lot of people will comment, well, like, why don't you fish for them with hook and line? That's more more ethical. And, it, and honestly, a gob of worms on a giant hook, you'd have a sturgeon on every day. Yeah. I, I think it'd actually be easier. I, people from out of state, they don't appreciate the true challenge of, you know, how many clearances there are on the east side going, I got one back in 94, <laughs> yeah. but it's been slow ever since then, you know, and... <laughs> so it, it's a tough sport well and it's managed obviously it's not like it's just a free-for-all people just out there with spears killing i mean it's probably the most regulated yeah sp- like sport that we have out there it, you know it's not like it's just depleting the population actually that's an excellent point anybody that's curious about sturgeon spearing and the management you got to get yourself a book it's called people of the sturgeon and it talks about sturgeon all the way through native american time um to modern day and it was actually the spear fishermen that banded together to form sturgeon for tomorrow working with the dnr that brought the population back from the the brink of uh collapse wow um if you ever get a chance check out a book it's called people of the sturgeon and it'll tell you the entire story how the spear fishermen and the dnr collaborating together is why we have such i think it's like the largest freshwater in the world in the world and uh and they're only getting bigger yep and we keep having 16 day seasons so eventually someone's gonna stick an absolute freak out there yeah well there was this year what what was it 177 yeah it's 176 which is crazy that was i mean it it was a downright ugly fish that picture that picture i would have swore that was a 200 pounder just yeah i remember seeing that gut is so distended like that thing was crazy but do you do you have any uh any good sturgeon spearing stories worth telling oh god that is probably (laughs) that's a bad question i'm sure you do (laughs) probably too many yeah right probably too many um to, to to tell but just the the best one if i had to pick one Oh, there's two. What the one was my wife's. Um, I don't really want to get into the, all the details because it's like a 10 minute story. But just seeing my wife get her first sturgeon, which ended up being 72 inches, was amazing. That was probably my favorite, and she was pretty jacked. Like, you know. Yep. Um, but probably the best story is my buddy Beeks and I. We always spear together, right? So we sit in the shack together, and we usually tag out, and then harass the other guy that's not taken out like you are one pathetic loser you, yep. you're the worst spear fisherman i've ever seen and you know when like people get mad when they miss yep we've missed enough sturgeon in our day that like we'll immediately be like you are one pathetic loser <laughs> and we don't even get mad anymore it's just all about breaking balls and teasing each other and one time we get out there i was tagged out 
and we're always pretty hardcore about getting out there by like 6:45, chiseling the ice off the hole, cleaning everything up, getting everything all set up, decoys down. Seven o'clock, bang! That spear's coming in. We're ready, right? Yeah. We don't even pull up to the shack on this day till like seven o three. So he's already <laughs> yelling at me like every curse word in the book, like you idiot, you overslept an hour late. Now I'm never gonna get a sturgeon, and I'm like, well, maybe if you'd get your ass in the shack, we'd get a sturgeon, you moron, and just bickering back and forth. And I went back to the truck to grab some gear. And now it's like 704, 705. The door's wide open on the shack. Being a good spear that he is, what's the first thing you do when you go into a shack if it's after 7, between 7 and 1? What's the first thing you do? Put a spear in. Put a spear in the water because you never know, right? Right. Credit to him. The first thing he did was hung the spear. He turned around. He screamed some obscenities at me. (laughs) (laughs) He turned back around and he just saw this flash up high with the door wide open. Oh, man. No decoy in the water, nothing. And he throws a spear. So I, of course, think like he's teasing. Right. He's goofing around. So now I'm mad. Yeah. I'm like, you're such an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. Dirtying up the hole. Now the hole is going to be dirty for the first 20 minutes. Like, why would you do that? (laughs) And he just turned and he's like, it's pretty big <laughs> and he's not a man of many words and i go in there and the ropes just peeling and i'm like oh my god you really got one <laughs> and he's fighting it fighting it fighting it and he gets it up and at that time it was the biggest one i'd ever seen and we gaffed it and i'm like oh my god that's a 100 pounder like dude you just got a 100 pounder and it was like bleeding out on the ice a little bit i'm like we gotta get this thing in. You're losing. You're losing blood. There's weight, yeah. <laughs> and it ended up only being 94. Mm. Um, but he speared it. We were in the shack. I never was in the shack. He opened That's the door, crazy. hung the spear, um, and then it was like a year after that. My other buddy Mike Pop, we're sitting there. It's like 10 in the morning. He calls, and he's like, I can't say what he said, but he's like, get the French over here, yeah. right? Yeah. And I go running over there, and I didn't know if he had a gaff hook in the shack or not, so I bring a gaff hook, and I'm running. <laughs> and it was one of them glare ice years. I just go, woof, my feet go up in the air, and it was like <laughs> slow motion. So I threw the gaff hook so that I wouldn't impale myself, <laughs> land flat on my back. Now I'm like Harry from Dumb and Dumber on the jetway. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I get back up, crawl over by the gaff, and I'm like, Ugh. and I run over there, open the door, I think he fought it for 10 minutes. He gets it up and he was really nervous. And I remember how nervous he was. And my buddy Mike shot more big bucks than most people I know. He's caught a lot of big walleyes. He's just like, why is he so nervous? You know, he brings it up and is a 124 pounder. Oh my gosh. And we gaffed it and pulled it out and. So those are my two best sturgeon experience stories. Those are Um, pretty good. That's some pretty good ones there. Yeah. God, that one that with beaks is crazy. Oh, just a minute or two. It was and the door open. Yeah, that's 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 a good how one. Terry speared one. Yeah, she well he because you had you had like a your whatever is tin roof or something, so like you can't get any phone signal in there. So he's like oh. trying to send a text out, and this was after Jake had speared his. He's probably trying to send pictures to somebody, whatever. So he's got like his hand out the door with his phone up there, trying to send pictures out. And then Jake sees one in the hole, and then he runs back in and spears that one. <laughs> I I was with at the time. Yeah, this was after I slept in. Jake spears his, so then I go 
out on the lake to congratulate him, take pictures, whatever. And then we're sitting there, and then his dad spears one with that whole phone out the door thing. And then I didn't have my tag because I thought if another one came by, his dad was going to spear it. Well, now it's like, what, 11.30, 10.30, something like that, and we still have a day left, and the spot's hot. So I had to have my girlfriend, Gabby, bring my tag out. She, of course, brought her tag with, and then we had another similar situation to where like he just looks back down and there it is. Jake was like messing with the GoPro, like trying to get it in the right spot and they're checking the battery or something. We're all talking, chatting it up. And then you can see, cause we have the video of it. He turns the GoPro back down and boom, fish is in the hole playing his oh, day right God. there. And then it's still like a couple seconds before I think you look down you're like, there's one, there's one right there. I pulled the spear off and the spearhead came off and oh. Jake, Jake warned me about that one. That was a finicky spear. Like he knew I was going to have to grab it pretty gentle and I just must not have. And it's hard. You're so jacked up. Right. Like, how and do you it, grab it lightly? And it just popped off. And then Gabby grabbed her spear, threw it like under her legs, like behind her and somehow hooked into it. And so we had three fish out of one shack that day. Isn't that, that crazy? One, it was crazy. You get a hot, a hot shack like that. You'll have, six shacks in the area they might get a fish here or there and that one yeah like we believe that there's like deer have runways mm -hmm. we believe that they have travel corridors and i don't know if it's the way the current sets up the way the bottom terrain sets up you know it, you think it's pretty flat mud out there but when you put a camera down and look around there's actually some high points and ridges yeah and i i truly believe that sturgeon have travel corridors i'd um, buy that for sure because why else would the one shack just be hot for 10 days? Right. I, I could definitely see that. Yeah. Because you talk about even like in fishing, right? There's going to be those little pockets or when, when we had Matt Doro in here, right? He was talking about how there was, um, I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it was just like this one channel of water that was just a little bit warmer. Yep. Key spot. Yep. It was a water temperature and water color line. Right. Very distinct. And it was, yep. they were right on it. Yeah. So I could definitely see that. That wouldn't surprise me a bit. Yeah, and then you have uh, Clarence from the east side that's like, it don't matter. I go off a of Stockbridge, two and three quarters, seven yep. tenths north, been speared in there since 89. I got six of them. And it's like, good for him. He's do He has fun too. Yep. Yep. That's Love what it's it. all about too. There's so many different personalities out there when it comes to spearing. Some people want to move every single day. Like if they don't get one, they're moving somebody of theirs got one and so they're going over there and some guys literally for 50 years will just go to the same spot and they just do it whether it works or not but yeah for sure it all adds to it it's pretty fun did i hear you went and did the the black or the what's the black lake season? black lake season yeah yeah we've done it the last two years we've wow. got we've got quite the group it's um <laughs> my buddy camel uh, Beeks and Randy Feifrick, the guy that I fish aim with. And the first year we went, we cut in and we actually saw three sturgeon the day before the season. <sighs> and, and we were like 22 feet of water and you can see them on bottom with your eyes. No camera is it's absolutely amazing. We have yet to see one during season. Um, and they're very short seasons. I think it was two and a half hours the first year. And then, 36 minutes or something like that um yeah <laughs> but it's also because what's the cap like 
six, six, six. fish or something. Yeah. Okay. So it's pretty wild. There's like 20 DNR out there. And as soon as you spear fish, they're like on you, like a crime scene investigation and they radio it in. And oh. every time a fish gets speared, you get a text. So like if you're spearing and your wife texts you like, good morning, good luck. You're like, ah, oh, no, somebody got one. <laughs> and then you're like, why would you text me during the, <laughs> and you realize you're just being a jerk, but, uh, it's pretty cool. It's a very different fishery, a lot cleaner water. Um, they have really good sheephead playing hours out there. Anybody that has got some German heritage and knows how to play the card game sheephead. So that, that we go up there. We partake in the season that lasts one to two hours. And then I think we play sheephead for a minimum of 12 hours that day. That's and it's awesome. the same four guys. And we just yell at each other and play cards. And we're all best of friends. And it's a really good time. Nice. It doesn't sound nice. too bad. Why is it so different in terms of like such a short season, such a small cap? Is it just that the population so small? It's a lot smaller body of water with less reproduction than Winnebago. They okay. do, they do, I believe, have a natural reproduction and a and a spawn in the river. I'm not sure if that's called the Black River or what the river's called. Um, not an expert on Black Lake and how it all works. I just know they have a smaller population they're trying to protect. So gotcha. So once they get six, they shut her down and they say, "Come on back next year, and we'll be back." <laughs> how yeah. far a trip is that to pull a? Do you pull an actual shack or are you doing no, okay. tents? Yeah. Tents. Okay. Yeah. Cause you're only spearing for what, two hours. So right. we put the big tents up and, and, uh, it's good enough for a two hour season. It's about, <laughs> I think it's a six and a half hour drive, but my buddy Brad, he actually lives up in Roger city. Okay. So we just stay at his house and. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, I think we are at a pretty good point right now for this. I'd love to chat whitetails with you sometimes. We might have to get you back on because I know you hunt up yeah, in the U- in the UP and I think last year down in Illinois and I'm sure Wisconsin too as well. So maybe we yeah. can, closer to deer hunting season, maybe we can get you back and talk some whitetails. I'm sure you got some good Uper deer camp stories and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Oh, Hulba- yeah. Um, Hullbuck's even been there. Actually, you know what? We got we to tell a Hullbuck uh, yeah, story Yeah, I was going right to say, before we leave though, we got to have a, a Hullbuck story. So well, you got to have a good one. This is a good one to end on. <laughs> so... My brother-in-law has shot a nice buck the last two years in a row, and it keeps growing up thicker and thicker with willows. And my brother-in-law is like, it's too thick down there. We need to trim it out. I don't want to hunt there. And he leaves the stand. So I'm like, Hallbuck, you got to go sit there. Like, that's a good spot. Well, you know Brad, and I kind of feel like I'm talking about him behind his back, but I'm doing it on purpose because I know he's going <laughs> to listen to this and just be shaking his head. Yeah. He's sitting there. It's this old stand. I bought a couple nicer, newer stands for my kids. I have some rednecks now so that my kids can be comfy. Well, he's sitting in this like 20-year-old box stand. And when you open the windows, they're like, <laughs> So like, what would you do, Pat, if you were sitting there? Open the windows right away. I'd probably keep them open all, all day. Just have them open. You'd probably yeah. open them, turn your heater on, dress warm, call it good. Well, I'll tell you what. Brad loves a heater and being in a box and, and being warm, <laughs> so he probably kept the damn windows so closed. So he's sitting there with the windows closed, all of them closed. <laughs> and I give him credit for telling the truth because he could have just lied and been like, oh, yeah, I was freezing my balls off. And <laughs> But he, he's sitting there with the windows closed, and it was thick. My brother-in-law was not wrong because all Brad saw – was the willows going like this and the snow falling off them. Hmm. And all of a sudden this buck just picks his head up and he's looking right at the box blind and Hallbuck's like, holy cow, I'm going to have to figure <laughs> out how to get one of these windows open. 
goes to open the window and it's and this buck's like nope <laughs> starts running gets into the cedars and it's it's gone but it's got one shooting lane it's gonna cross that's also overgrown with willows but there's a five foot wide four-wheeler trail that goes down through there Paul Buck's like, well, now or never, just slams the window down and it goes bang and it hits the stand. This buck stops on this five foot wide four wheeler trail. Oh, God. If it stops three feet that way, he doesn't get it. Three feet that way, this buck stops in the middle of the four wheeler trail and just looks at him and he shoots it. And he texts us, buck down, boys. That's how you do it. (laughs) And at first, I thought he had like this great hunting story of how he sniped this thing through the willows and like was stealthy and sneaky and then i find out he's just banging doors just and banging <laughs> doors around but that's hobuck i mean the guy could just like fall on a pile of shit and come up holding roses you know he's a good guy he's oh, funny he's i always good said friend. i could catch a goddamn white bass if the toilet bowl froze over to that guy <laughs> ice fishing man i don't yeah. know he knows <laughs> something he, about him he knows what he's doing yeah, Man. we love you, Brad. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Had to tell that story. It's my favorite up north hunt story. <laughs> so, All right, guys. Well, thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for joining us, Justin. We really appreciate it. This was a fun one. Uh, if people want to follow what you're doing or check out, you know, the rest of your season on National Walleye Tour or whatnot, where can they uh, got any socials or anything that people can check you out on? Yeah, I think on Instagram it's just Justin Schneider Fishing. And then uh, Facebook, I'm Justin W. Schneider because there's like 497 Justin Schneiders. <laughs> so my mom didn't think too hard of an original 80s name. She went with Justin and Jason for me and my brothers. So it's uh, Justin W. Schneider. And uh, and then you can check all the results at nationalwalletour.com. So we'll be out there giving her. Nice, man. We'll definitely be uh, following you and uh, cheering you on and rooting for you to, to keep your hold on that angle of the year, man. Appreciate, appreciate it, man. Appreciate you coming in tonight. Yeah, thanks so much, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. See you guys on the road. All right, thanks for watching, guys. See you next time.